Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? This is the word of the Lord. Well, some people are just terrible storytellers. I mean, you love them. They have other, they have other gifts, but man, they cannot tell a story to save their lives, right? And some of you, like, you're already thinking of certain people in your life, and if you can't come up with anybody, it's probably you, right? Um, so please, just spare us. Like, don't, don't, don't go there. Like, some people are just, they're just terrible at it. Like, it just, it keeps going on and on and on and so many details. And like, do you really have to know the names of every single character and their whole life story? And it, it meanders and just, I mean, it goes, it goes forever. And you're like, you're doing your best to pay attention, right? You don't want to be rude, right? You've been there, right? Uh, and, and then you can kind of like, at some point you feel like, I think they're, I think they're winding up, Right? And so you kind of like lean in because this, this is the part when you think there's going to be a point. Um, if you've made that mistake, you kind of lean in, you're waiting for it, you're, you're ready for it. And then like it just, just sort of ends, right? And, and whenever that happens, I think to myself, I'm going to die having wasted those moments. Like I will never get that time back. What was that, what was that about anyway? Do you ever feel that way about the Bible? I know I could get struck by lightning, I suppose, but I think we're supposed to be honest, right? The Bible, the Bible is a hard book. And for some of us, that's what it feels like. You, you open it up and maybe, maybe you don't know how to read it or you're new to this book and it's like, man, it's just like a, all these different stories and so many characters and names and details and rules. And it's just like, what, what, is, what, is, this really, what is this really about? Does it, have, does it have a point? What is this book for? And just, just imagine with me, if you were a new Christian in the first century, picture yourself there. You're part of a church plant in Galatia. You just started following Jesus. You heard about this guy, and you've, you've given him your life, and now you're like, what's, what's next? But the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And whether, whether in this context, whether you are a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian, there's a really good chance that you grew up believing uh, that what God wants most from you is your obedience. Because that's how, that's how every other religion works, right? Um, all of them. That, that, that's essentially, at, at, at their core, every other religion, it's like, I, if I'm good enough, if I keep the right rules, if I know the right rules, then God will, maybe he'll accept me, he'll love me, Right? And so that's likely how you grew up if you're in this, this context. And, so, and you've got the Old Testament, though, so you start reading it. Like, okay, what do we make of this? You know, stories and rules, so many rules. 
And, and then combine that with the fact that there's a new group of people in your church that have begun to say, they're Jewish Christians, have begun to say, yes, Jesus, he is great and all, but if you really want to be a Christian, first you have to, you have to obey all these rules. Circumcision, kosher eating, all of the laws found in the Old Testament, you have to become Jewish in order for Jesus to pay attention to you. People who say, well, isn't, isn't that what this story is about, keeping the rules? Some of us, even today, 2,000 years later, we have those, those same questions. And this is where the Apostle Paul steps in, and he writes you and your small church plant there in Galatia a letter explaining the story that God has been telling explaining to, to them and to us that it isn't, it isn't different from Old Testament to New Testament. That, that yes, there are, there are rules and laws and stories, but they all serve a single purpose. And Paul, in this section of Galatians we're going to look at this morning, he wants us to see that from beginning to end, Old Testament to New, from Abraham all the way to Jesus, God only tells one story. God only tells one story. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Galatians 3. We've been studying Galatians uh, for a bit now. Um, and, and this morning, uh, Paul, Paul gives the church in Galatia and us a little bit of a, a, a history lesson to show us from, from the beginning, God has always been about one thing. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in to the text this morning. Let's pray. Father, God, we need your help uh, to understand your word. God, it is a complex book, and yet in it are words of life, and we pray that we would find them and wrap our lives around them. God, would you show us who you are, who you've created us to be, and how Jesus has come to our rescue. I pray that we'd believe that and celebrate that together this morning. In Christ's name, amen. God only tells one story. And what we see first here is that it's always been a story of promise, not performance. You can't miss that in Galatians, right? We've talked about this every week we've been in this letter, that, it, that it's first about God's promise to us, not our performance for him. Okay, so Paul here, in, in this section of Galatians, he goes all the way back to Abraham. But let's, let's go ahead and, and go back just a little bit further, okay? To make sure we understand uh, the whole story of the Bible. Like, if you wanted to know, like, what is this book really about, okay? If you want a simple, simplified sort of, how do I understand this? What, what is this story? It's fairly simple. It's a story of a God who rescues his people. That's, that's the over, it's a story of a God who rescues his people. And you can see that in four chapters, four, four big movements that this story is told in. It's creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And so the Bible begins with, with creation, that God creates a perfect world where, where we are, are able to have perfect relationship with one another and with God. And at the center of any, relation, of any promise is, is relationship. And we're, we're created for that spot, but we, we, you know, we rejected it, the fall. That's the second, the movement. We, we said no thanks to God's promise to us. You know, we're going to do it our, our own way. We doubt his goodness, and we leave his, leave his, his, his path. His, his pro- we reject it, and everything, everything falls apart within us and around us. And honestly, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know that, like, I'm broken, you're broken, our world is broken. Like, we know there's something that's just not, not quite right. 
But, but immediately, the third movement is, is redemption, that God enacts his plan to be faithful to his promise anyway, to rescue, restore. We see this in Abraham, Moses, David, and so many others, but, but, but they're, never, they're never quite enough, not, not until Jesus comes, because, because Jesus can fulfill both God's promise to us as well as our obligations to him. And on the cross, he does exactly that. And those, those who are then enter back into this promise, Jesus enables us to, to move back into the promise with God. We can enter back now and forever. And then, and then finally, right, the last chapter of the story is new creation, that, that Jesus is coming back, that God himself will move to planet earth. He will make us new, give us new hearts, make this, this earth new, this world new, and, and we will live perfectly in that place. All will be restored. Everything that's lost will be made up. That those, those who are of faith in the promise will live with him forever. That's, that's the story that God is, is telling. From beginning to end, if you want to know the Bible, like that's just a, a snapshot. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That's, that's our story. And, and Paul here, though, he centers in on these early stages of, of redemption. And he looks at Abraham and Moses as examples. And he, he wants us to see, he wants the church in Galatia to see that, that God has always been moving in the direction of Jesus. That it wasn't, it wasn't a plan B, it wasn't an afterthought, it wasn't a, hey, this, this carpenter's pretty great, right? It, it was part of the plan from the, from the very beginning and that God's promise always beats our performance. So look again at Galatians 3. Let me read beginning in verse, in verse 15. Paul says, to give a human example, brothers and sisters, even with a man-made covenant, right, the idea of a promise, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He's saying that this is, this is what God meant at the very beginning, that a Messiah would come through, through Abraham. And so you've got to kind of understand a little bit of Abraham's story to know where we're at. Hey, this is something the early readers of Paul's letter, they would have known these stories, but um, let me, let me kind of sum it up a little bit, at least part of Abraham's story for us, because it's really important to Paul's argument. Okay, so the story, the story of Abraham is found in Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. So again, Paul, he takes us back, right, to the, to the very start of, of God's dealing with humanity. And, and Abraham... Abraham's a big deal, okay? He's, he's the father of the Jewish people. Uh, he was the first to be circumcised. And if you remember kind of the, the argument happening in Galatia, it's all around whether or not you have to be circumcised to be a Christian, whether or not you have to follow the law and become Jewish, right? So, so Abraham, he's like, their, he's like he's their guy, right? He was the first who started this, this tradition, this ritual. And God makes huge promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, for example, God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families, not just the Jews, not not just that narrow group of people, all people, all families, Gentiles as well, the uncircumcised. And God makes with Abraham a covenant. It's like a 
a contract, right? A super serious promise, like however you want to sort of translate in your brain. But it's a big deal, right? This covenant that God enters in with, with Abraham. And there's, there's a beautiful picture of it in Genesis 15. It's actually, it's actually kind of gross, um, but it's also, it's also really, really beautiful. Because Abraham, like he's hearing these promises from God, and, and he's like, how... How can I believe this? Like, how can I trust that this is actually going to happen, right? Everything, everything was against it coming true in Abraham. Abraham was old, right? He hadn't been able to have kids and to be a great nation and have all these descendants. Like, Abraham's like, how? Like, God, prove it. And so God responds back. He's like, all right, Abraham, go get me some animals. He has this list of animals in Genesis 15. And I know this is, this is like the gross part for us because we we, we're so far from, removed from that culture. But you have, to, you have to understand that in ancient Near East, this is the way contracts were made or covenants, right? They didn't have, they didn't have lawyers. Uh, they, didn't, they probably didn't have a lot of opportunities to write things down. They, they wrote their contracts in blood. And then they would have like a, like a barbecue afterwards, essentially, Right? Not a lot has changed, right? And we just go to the butcher, have them kill the animal for us and wrap it up in cellophane, and then we go back and do it, right? Um, it's, not, it's not that different, but you sealed it with blood back then. That's how you did it in the ancient Near East, and God graciously meets us where we are, right? And so he goes to Abraham, Abraham, give me some animals. Because basically what you do to enter a covenant in that time period is you, you take two or more, one or more animals, and you cut them in half. I know, I know. Uh, and then you'd put like one half over here and one half over here, okay? Like a little, little walkway in between the, uh, the carnage. And then both parties would walk through the animals, right, with, on each side. And essentially what they'd be saying is that if I don't keep my end of the deal, do this to me. Like, it's a big deal, right, what they're doing. Like, they, they take this very, very seriously. I mean, imagine a covenant today. Like, imagine a wedding ceremony where we did this. We haven't had a wedding in here yet, but can you imagine the decorating challenges? Um, like, well, the sheep should go over here. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of disgusting, right? But it's, it's what they did back then. And so, so Abraham, he gets them all lined up. I kind of picture this sidewalk. I mean, they didn't have sidewalks back then. But that's how in my mind, like, this sidewalk in between this, like, row of, of carnage, basically. He gets them all lined up. And then Abraham falls asleep. Which seems a little bit strange. I mean, I guess it's, it's hard work doing that much butchering. Um, he falls asleep. And only God walks through while Abraham's asleep. And this, this is really important. This is, this is part of what Paul is going back to. God walked through by himself as if in that moment God is, God is saying, if I don't keep my end of the deal, let me be torn apart. And by the way, if you humans don't keep your end of the deal, let me be torn apart. Like he, he's walking through on behalf of both parties saying, I am the one that this covenant, this contract, it all falls on me. I will take responsibility for it. Because he knows, he knows, he knows Abraham. Abraham's a mess. He knows us. We can't, we can't do it on our own. And so God walks through by himself. And then, you know, 2,000 years later, right, it's what happens. Jesus is, is beaten and torn apart for our sake, and he keeps both ends of the deal, right? He, he takes our, our failure, he takes our sin on the cross, and he gives us his righteousness. It's an incredible transaction we talked about, we talked about last week. For we are saved by his promise that God will do it, not by our performance that I have to do it. 
And Abraham believed God. He believed that God was going to do it. And, and that was enough. In fact, last week, if you remember, if you were here, like Paul actually quoted in Galatians Genesis 15, part of it. When, when it was written, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God took Abraham's faith in the promise and said, because you believe that I'm going to do that, I'm declaring you righteous, whole, good, beautiful, not based on his good works, but through his faith. Okay, and I realize some of you at this point is like, good grief, so much history. Like, Nathan, are you the bad storyteller in the beginning? Um, like, there's so much, right? There's so much detail here. But, but here's the thing. This is why Paul, like, Paul is getting at this. If we miss this, we miss Galatians. If we miss Galatians, we might, we might miss the gospel. And if we do that, we, we could miss Jesus altogether. Because here, here is the point of it all that Paul is building towards. All of this, this covenant, this being declared righteous, all of it happened in Abraham's life before he was circumcised. And it all happened 430 years before Moses gave the people the law. And still God declared him righteous. And so, and so in Galatians 3, 17, that's what Paul says. This, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Not by our performance. Not, not by our, our, our gritting our teeth to, to hit enough, enough good works, to make ourselves good enough. And, I mean, think about this. Go back to the church in Galatia. Right? They're so obsessed with God's law that they'd forgotten this really important part of Abraham's story. They'd forgotten the promise. And they're, it's like they're trying to meet God halfway. Like, Jesus is great, but we got we to meet him halfway. We got we to make ourselves good enough before God could accept us. Which, as we said last week, right, it only ends in despair or self-righteousness. Because there's no possible way we can be good enough. We just can't do it. And so the message of the Bible on every page is that you cannot rescue yourself. Try as you might. Right? You can't, you can't be good enough. You can't carve out a good enough life on your own apart from God. Like, I'm going to go do this my, myself. But God promises to do it for you. Will you trust him? I mean, even just imagine for a moment, what would change in your life and mine if we rested on God's promise rather than on our performance? I mean, even just think about it in, in the, the example of like a, a marriage relationship. Because, I mean, if, if some of us are honest here, some of our marriages are built on performance, Right? I'm going to keep my end of the deal. You're going to keep your end of the deal. Like, we keep our tally of right, rights and wrongs, and, and, you know, you're daily negotiating the relationship. I mean, some of you, right, you're there. You know what that's like. And let me just tell you, it's not going to work. Like, you can't do that for one another. But, but imagine, imagine instead if, if the relationship was built on promise, on covenant, on saying, yes, I am with you no matter what, right? And, and the safety and security that comes with that. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're lazy in your marriage. It doesn't mean that you become passive or distant, in fact, in, in, what it means is that because you're secure in that love, you're able to give yourself away in ways that you couldn't possibly without, without worrying about your own needs and desires. That you could, you could sacrifice 
Because we're loved. Which kind of relationship would you want? So why are we still trying to earn from God instead of resting in his promise to us? Yeah, but Nathan, I mean, God does give us rules, right? We can't just ignore the rules. Can we? I mean, can we? Right? No, of course not. And Paul's going to get to that even, even more as, as the letter continues, but we have to understand their purpose. If God only tells one story, promise, not performance, then it's also a story of delight, not duty. God wants our delight, not our duty. You see, this is, this is exactly the, the question that Paul takes us to. Like, he knows that we're going to ask, ask that. Like, what are the rules for then, right? That's, that's literally what Paul says, verse 19. Why then the law? If it's all about the promise, why, why did God bother with the law? Skip to verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. It's clear, right? So what are the rules for, Paul? What's he saying there? Well, there are only two rules, really. I mean, Jesus' summary of the law, right? He sums it up with two things. Love God, love your neighbor, which we're, we're lousy at, right? And then so you could go back to the Old Testament. You can see the, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments really are just explanations of what it means to love God and love your neighbor. There's, there's ten of them, right? But again, still, still pretty lousy at it. And then you can go back even further. And if you, if you look at the Old Testament, there are 613 laws within the Old Testament that explain the Ten Commandments, right, to help, you know, under, us understand. And we're still terrible at it, right? It's just, it's law after law after law. So what, what, what's it for? Well, what's interesting is that these 613 rules follow a very clear pattern. I mean, first of all, don't, don't miss this. And again, the early readers of Galatians would have known this, that, that first God rescued his people from Egypt and then he gave them the law. Right? Rescue comes before obedience. Right? <laughs> Promise before performance. So that's, that's clear there. But then, like, after, after they were rescued, Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, and immediately they blow it. And so then Moses gives them a few more rules, and then immediately they blow it. And then he gives them a few more rules, and then immediately they blow it. And then a few more, and on and on. And I mean, this is like, if you read the, the portions of the law, this is exactly the pattern disobedience, more rules, disobedience, more rules. And, and that's, why, I mean, that's why Paul says here, right, in Galatians, he says, no law can give life. And eventually, even Moses, the lawgiver, is like, oh, jeez, right? What we need are new hearts. But why then the law if it's inadequate? I, I love how the, the New City Catechism Summarizes. If you're looking for uh, a simple tool to teach your kids basic theology, or just maybe to learn a little bit yourself, 
Um, I would highly recommend this, this resource. You can download the, the, the free app, the New City Catechism. Uh, but this is how they, they say, the purpose of God's law, and there's a question, says no one keep the law, what is its purpose? The purpose is that we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a savior. What's the purpose? That we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need for, our, for a savior. Think of, think of the law a little bit like, like an x-ray. An x-ray can tell you you're broken, but it can do nothing to fix you. That's, that's the law. It's a, it's a little bit like, oh, forgive me, uh, like Bob Newhart. Let's, uh, let's watch this. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. To, to bury you alive about? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, you're claustrophobic? Uh, yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> All right, well, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall well, I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Yeah, it's a little like that. Uh, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. I mean, that's, I mean, essentially, at their core, that's what rules do. They tell us to stop without actually giving us the power to obey. Like, you've tried it, right? You've tried, I mean, I'm sure she tried not being claustrophobic. We try things all the time, and we just, we're lousy. And we know we don't measure up, Right? I mean, Christian or not, whether, whether you are a Christian or not, we may believe different things about life and, and what the rules are. Yes, I, I mean, I, I get that. But there are things, no matter who you are, there are things in your life that you are not proud of, that you wish you could change. Think, things that you only do when nobody's looking, ways that you act only when certain people are around you. We all do it. And Paul says it's because we're slaves to sin. Sheesh, I'm not a slave. Come on, Paul. 
Well, if you're not a slave, then stop it. Stop. Don't do it anymore. Stop yelling at your kids so much. Stop judging everyone. Stop obsessing over control. Stop, stop resenting that family member or, or harboring unforgiveness. Stop always thinking about yourself. Just, just, like, if you're not a, just stop. Don't do it anymore. Because the reality is, until you've tried to stop, you won't understand that you can't. Until you understand that you can't, you'll never understand the gospel. Jesus came because we can't stop. We need forgiveness. We need new hearts. We need rescue from ourselves and from others and from the sins around us and within us. And once, once then he's rescued you. And you've entered into this promise. Then you can begin to change. And even, even more than that, you see what Paul says there? He refers to the law as a guardian. Like a, like a tutor is, is another translation of that. Like it's sort of the training wheels for us. The law can train us, protect us, show us who God is and how to flourish. That God's law, can, once it's understood rightly, can actually become a delight to us. Now, now, for those of you who are wondering, yeah, but aren't there a bunch of like super weird rules in the Old Testament? Yeah, well, um, yes, there are. Um, but, but again, like context matters and understanding these things culturally is really, really, really important. They're not all meant to be applied in the same way today. Uh, even as Paul right here is saying, like circumcision, kosher eating, like that's very clear uh, that those things have changed for us now with, with Jesus. It's not arbitrary which laws we pick and choose, but it is really complex uh, we don't have time to go through all of it today, but if you're interested, uh, a really helpful resource on the Old Testament broadly and some of the challenges with the Old Testament uh, is the book, Is God a Moral Monster? It can be an excellent resource. I'd highly, highly recommend picking it up. If, if you are like, curious, like, why does God say this in the Old Testament? Why, why are these laws, these kinds of specific things? It's really, really helpful. But as a whole, when you, when you look at God's rules, I mean, if you begin to understand them rightly, not, not as a path to salvation, not, not as a, a, something to, to enter in with drudgery. Do you look at, the, at them with duty? <sighs> I'm going to grip my teeth. Man, this is going to stink. Why did God have to do all that, right? Ruin all my fun. Or do you look at them with delight? Here's the God who made me and loves me, who knows me better than I know myself, who wants to rescue me from me. I mean, I have to ask that myself that question almost daily. Do I, is it duty or is it delight? I mean, one, one example of this, maybe this is an easy target, maybe this will upset you, I don't, I don't know, but I, I look around often now at the sexual freedom in our culture. Because as a culture, like, we celebrate this, right? Like, we, we're finally not repressed anymore. We've, we've evolved. Like, and, and anything goes. Like, there's just, there are no rules when it comes to our sexuality anymore as a culture, or very few of them. And yet, would anybody in our culture look at us as humans today living in America and think, wow, they've got that figured out. Like their lives are so satisfying. Like the way they, I mean, think about the, the Weinsteins and the Bill Cosbys and a thousand other scandals. Like we've got it figured out, people, really? I mean, think, think about the number one indicator in poverty, of poverty in our culture. You know what it is? It's not zip code, education, it's not the color of your skin. The number one indicator of poverty in our culture today is single family homes. And some of you, some of you live in that. You know how perilous that is. Well, 
Millions of children living in poverty, growing up in that way today because of our, our freedom. Like, that's the cost, people. Or, or you think, of, think about the, the rise of, of eating disorders and women feeling like they have to fit a perfect mold in order to satisfy, or, or men who are addicted to pornography, which any, any therapist, like non-Christians, Christian, it doesn't matter, like, will say that is, that is terrible, terrible behavior for your relationships, wreaking havoc on your ability to have intimacy. Abuse, infidelity, confusion. We have tons of sex, but no intimacy, people. Like, we, we have freedom, but we have become slaves. We think we've arrived, but few embracing any of these things claim to be satisfied. At least we're not repressed. I mean, maybe, maybe God was right after all. Listen, if you've entered his promise, you don't have to obey. I mean, not, not to earn anything from God. It's, it's not a prereq to get in your obedience. But when we understand his law rightly and what it is for, why wouldn't you want to? Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness. He didn't just believe in God. I mean, anybody can believe in God, right? He believed God, trusted him. This is is what the whole second half of Galatians is going to be about. That, That grace this good changes us but it changes us out of delight, not out of duty. Which leads, leads to the last thing. God only tells one story. It's, it's promise, not performance. It's delight, not duty. And it's sons, not slaves. Sons and daughters, heirs, not slaves. That, that through faith in Jesus, we don't primarily relate to God as a, ma- as a slave to his master or even as a subject to her king. We relate to God as a child to her dad. Look at verse 25. Paul says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You don't need a guardian anymore, a tutor. You, you, you've outgrown the training wheels. You're an heir, and your heart is being made whole. And, and yes, yes, we still long to obey God. And please don't misunderstand that. Like, don't walk out of there and go, oh, I can do whatever I want. No, Paul's going to address exactly that because he knows our tendency is like, we're going to just throw one thing out and go the other direction. No, we still long to obey him. But we don't obey as slaves trying to earn anything. But as children who are safe, who are dearly loved, who trust that any, any rule, anything that our, our heavenly, our loving father is going to give us is for our, our flourishing. It's for our joy. So it doesn't matter, he says, if you're Jewish or Gentile, circumcised or not, slave or free, male or female, anyone can be an heir. And Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't erase our uniquenesses, but he puts us all on the same playing field before God, equal before him. And so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're divorced or married, black or white, rich or poor, educated or not, whether, whether you... Um, 
you know, live in a certain neighborhood or a different one, it, like vote a certain way or a, a different way. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether, whether you grew up in church or this is your first time, whether you've broken all of the rules or kept most of them. What matters now, Paul is saying, what matters right now in this moment is where you find yourself in God's story. Will you trust his promise? Have you said to Jesus, yes, this is, this is what I want. For God only tells one story. That's, that's what this book is about. From cover to cover on every page, it is about a God who rescues his people. It's about promise, not performance. It's about delight, not duty. And it's about us welcomed in as sons and daughters, not slaves. Is this your story? Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be our story. That each of us would see, um, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth, the beauty of following you, of being known by you, of, of walking in light of your promise to us, of rescue and hope. And that that would change us that it would change the way we live within our homes and with our friendships, that it would change the way we work and interact with our neighbors and at our school. God, that you would grip us once again with the good news of what you have done. And I pray that we would praise you now together, we, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a joy to even be reminded of those words, right? It's not something I can earn. It's not something I deserve. And it's a joy to sing that with you because if, if I'm honest, um, right, Neil, right now with the church gathered um, and hearing those words, it's, it's, it's beautiful and I, I, I can believe it and I can, remember, I can remember it. But when I go and I walk out on Monday or when I'm out in the nether days, I often find myself working so hard for God's approval, right? Trying to earn it, trying to, and yet this, this series is reminding me, no, it's not based off performance. It's based on the promise that he has given. That's the freedom we find in Christ. That's the freedom that we're, we have. And yet the question that comes up for me next is, how do, I, how do I walk in this? How do I do it? And a little teaser, we're going to get there in the text. Galatians doesn't leave us here. Um, but that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, right? That God doesn't leave us on our own. So I'm going to give you today's benediction, but just a reminder, the good word for the road as you go, the Holy Spirit is with us. So hear these good words from the book of Galatians throughout chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of savory. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. Go in peace.